1: keep the music flowing we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one so check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast so you want to be a rock and roll star no well how about a podcast star well as it turns out there's a new all-in-one platform just for you it's called anchor and it's the easiest way to make a podcast and check this out it's free Hey, welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with the interview series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org, Consequence of Sound and the Consequence Podcast Network. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening to the episode, Uh, especially thanks if you're a uh, returning customer. Of course, if you're not a subscriber and this is your kind of thing, hit that subscribe button right now, wherever you're listening from. You can catch us at iTunes and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, at YouTube. We put out new interviews every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So again, if you want to keep up with your favorite artists, if you want to discover some new ones, if you want to know what's happening in the music world, hit subscribe and we will take care of the rest. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'm going to be talking with Marcus King today about his brand new record called El Dorado and how he says this album is a way to rewrite his story. I'm going to ask exactly what that means. Of course, it also finds him teaming up with Dan Auerbach of the Black Keys, so we'll talk about their relationship and then within the record writing about the era of leaving home around the time he says 17 to 24 uh hitting the road the, a lot of that plays a big part in the in the stories of this song right here as do old cadillacs as he says something good that can fade away if you don't take care of it you see you see it's a metaphor uh but also sometimes literally just just cars We'll talk about the loss of style and character, uh, how he didn't want this to be a guitar record, which is interesting because you know he's known for one of the uh, premier guitarists out there right now. Uh, how one of the songs took inspiration from Willie Nelson's Whiskey River, although it sounds very much like Waylon Jennings to me. We'll also hear about his Grand old Aubrey debut last year and how, uh, as he, he would get ready to go for school, he'd be listening to uh, the Beatles' I'm Only Sleeping every morning and why that was. That's all coming up. Let's get into it. Discussing the record El Dorado. It's Kyle Meredith with Marcus King. How you doing? It is good to talk to you again, man. The new record El Dorado is, is really, really good. We've enjoyed it so much. Uh, listening to it over here. I mean, first off, congratulations on this because I I know this was a big deal for you, this record and and it sounds amazing.
0: Oh, well, thank you very much. It was a leap in a sort of a different direction and it was uh, it was really gratifying to see people's re- warm reception to it.
1: I noticed that you know, in a few of the interviews you had done, and, and one specifically I think uh, was with the and you'd used a word that I really centered in on because you told them it, you wanted it to be a way to rewrite your story. And I thought, that that is a big word, to rewrite your story. What exactly did you mean by that? because you've already mentioned it, it is a bit of a different direction?
0: Well, it just kind of rewrites me. I guess the approach was sort of to uh, change the direction a bit more from uh, just being like a member of a band to being able to have a little more depth as an artist and do a few different things. you know, and this was a, a departure from playing with my band to working with all of Dan's you know studio guys and working really closely under a producer. It's the first producer I've worked with, just as a solo artist, which kind of gives the producer a little bit more freedom to to work, you know.
1: Dan and especially that Easy Eye crew. I mean, I I know Dan subscribes to a "don't think too hard on it" attitude. You know, he he can he can write a lot uh, or write a lot of songs himself, but also get you know the people he's working with to do a lot in a little bit of time. Did that did that train apply here for you?
0: Well, I will say, you know, that is a fantastic approach, and Dan has the luxury of having that approach. He has the, the talent to kind of back it up. He doesn't have to think very hard, and it allows just beautiful things to happen, which is the case with with all these easy eye records. And he's got uh, the cream of the crop playing on it too, which I think really, of course, lends to the sound that that studio produces. But um, when we were working together, it was very organic, this whole process.
1: That's what I was going to say. Did did you notice that you had to change your way of songwriting when you're kind of working at a faster pace?
0: Well, I will say the songwriting process of it was about two weeks of getting together with with like-minded writers and people that Dan thought my writing style would work well with. And it was kind of an opportunity for me kind of referring to the rewriting my history in a way is I've never written with anyone before. So co-writing in itself was kind of a learning curve, one that was really welcomed, but it was a new process because it's a very vulnerable place. So that in itself was um, a good way to kind of open up because every, every writing session was like a first date and you just told your life story and really opened up.
1: Right. Right. I mean, that's, it's gotta be in a lot of artists, you know, a lot of musicians will talk about a record being a snapshot of their life at that time, but it seemed like this would really provide that. You know, if if every day is writing a new song, it's having to dig in and and I don't know. Do, do you find that you're concentrating more on a specific uh, point of your life when writing like that?
0: Well, with this particular record, we we kind of just went in and, and started writing and just wanted to see what came out. You know, that was our approach initially. And about halfway through that approach, we found that everything that we were writing seemed to be about a period in my life, like when I left home to go on the road when I was 17 until you know at that point I was 23, uh, doing the record. So just that that period of years is kind of what we were writing about. And it was a really formative time for me. It was the, my first little while on the road and, and leaving home at a fairly young age uh, and growing up pretty quickly before that, so that was kind of what we were writing about, and the concept kind of found us midway through that process.
1: Uh, I'll quote another interview where you said, "Old Cadillacs and fading away" seem to be the the two things that crop up a lot, right?
0: Yeah, they they both do. Yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah, what what's the similarities in the in in those two those two parts?
0: Well, the similarities there are the car is is almost kind of the uh, you know, like the metaphor for. Uh, you know something good that can fade away if you don't take care of it, if you don't nurture it. You know you can lose it. And my Cadillac sitting outside, I've got to wax it. I've got to make sure that it's covered up in a storm. I put it away during the winter. You know you got to take care of these things, or they can they can kind of wither away with time. And I think that's uh, similar to uh, any any relationship in your life. You got to nurture them.
1: It's funny. I was just talking with someone else the other day about how cars of course used to be a bedrock of of writing rock and roll songs but but also you know the road and those seem to have disappeared in the in the popular styles you know you, you don't hear much about cars and you especially don't hear as many road songs as you used to so I was I was really happy and surprised to find you using those those kind of metaphors on this record
0: it's funny man like you know every sedan that you see now every every two car every two door sedan they all look like each other, you know. I think it's kind of a society's way of just making us all the same fucking person and there's no uh there's no style and there's no um you know character in anything anymore. It's just a blank slate and I don't know. Uh having an old Cadillac makes me feel at least a little like an outlier, you know.
1: <laughs> so, you know, that, that's where you go as a storyteller. Did you know where you wanted to go as a guitarist this time around? Because, again, the styles, there's so many interesting moments uh, all, all over this record. Did you have that vision as well?
0: Well, only in the fact that I wanted to play less, which I think uh, Dan and I both agreed on. We didn't want this to be a, a guitar record. Because, uh, You know, I think all my past works have been more focused on that although it may have been unintentional. It was just my my safety blanket for a long time was the guitar. And uh, growing more confident as a vocalist and songwriter, this record allowed an opportunity to kind of uh, put it on the back burner and allow it to be a little less utilized.
1: Uh, I'll tell you, I'll pick out one of the songs because the musical changes in One Day She's Here are really surprising. It doesn't sound like that's an that's an easy song to have put together, but but maybe it is. What, what how did, how did that one come about because again, it's you, you don't expect where the song kind of snakes around.
0: Yeah, it's got a really bouncy kind of thing to it and uh that's a progression that's indicative of Pat McLaughlin's kind of ear. When I came in, he was playing that bouncy minor, that B minor to the G major, and they were kind of messing around with that and I I was late to the session, but I heard him fooling around with that, um, progression. And the first thing that came to mind was, uh, <laughs> I had just gotten out of my car. So <laughs> the first line, and then we, we started just kind of painting a picture of something kind of slipping out out of your reach and that progression just kind of created itself almost, you know, it was a collaborative thing for sure between the three of us, but, uh, it does take some some interesting turns. I appreciate you noticing.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a fun one to listen to. Uh, you know, and one that's maybe a bit more straightforward, uh, Too Much Whiskey came on, and the first time I heard it, I thought for sure Waylon Jennings was going to start singing at the beginning there, and I mean that in the highest compliment possible. <laughs> I don't know if there was an inspiration thing happening there or you were channeling anything, but, I, but I'd love to know that one as well.
0: Oh, man, yeah, I, I grew up playing that kind of stuff, that kind of juke joint stuff with my, my granddad. And my my dad and my uncles and uh, we wrote that one with, with Overstreet Paul Overstreet and uh, it was just kind of a storytelling song, you know, with a lot of inspiration from from Willie Nelson with his song uh, Whiskey River. We kind of took that and wrote a song about commiserating with that Willie song, <laughs> and how that within itself, you know, that's kind of where the story you know puts you as kind of in your car commiserating, and and uh, thinking about what it could what could have been. And uh, looking for your answers at the at the bottom of a bottle, which are just all really good elements of a country song. So that's where the vibe <laughs> lends itself. I mean, it's
1: almost a rite of passage. If you're going to write a country country song, you have to sing about whiskey. Like like vodka just doesn't work. You know, it's Kila doesn't work. It's it's nah. whatever reason. And I say this in Louisville. You know, we're bourbon country up here. Anyway, it's got to be whiskey.
0: Exactly. I mean, I, I I've never written a song about White Claw, and I don't think I will. <laughs>
1: thank god thank god yeah and and on that subject too of really just nailing i mean you had to have laughed at some point because you called a song love song like it's it's painted
0: <laughs> yeah um it's really funny one of the first interviews i did about this record was uh someone was asking me uh it was a german publication and you know my grandmother's german and i know that they're very uh, straightforward people you know and they just kind of ask you directly how they're feeling. And his whole thing was that I, I'd, I'd never really written any love songs and I must've really had a lot of hurt and explain why I said, well, there's a song called love song. I don't know if that counts. <laughs> <laughs> That's literally all that that song is. And, um, basically I, I wrote a song, uh, after an argument with my, my girlfriend and, uh, I played it for her and, uh, if pay, I try to paint a picture. Uh, that song is yet to be released, but, you know, she felt kind of down, and I do love her very much, so I wanted to go in and, and write something special. And uh, it's just, with Bobby Woods on keys, he can write a really pretty arrangement. So with his help and with Dan, you know, that came out.
1: It's a fun one, too. I I, I will bring up a few things that's kind of happened around this record, because uh, obviously, you know, touring has not been a big part of the game for anybody, or any part of the game for anybody at this point, but recently, you still had some big moments. Uh, It wasn't too long ago that I read that you made your Grand Ole Opry debut, and I have to imagine that was a special moment.
0: Oh, it was. It's funny you mention that. I was actually just working out in my living room before you called, and um, I uh have... was looking at the sign, because they they give you a parking spot when you Uh perform, and uh, it's a grand old Opry debut, and it has the date. And uh, I was just thinking, man, uh, September 4th of this year, uh, it'll be a year since the Opry debut, and it'll be like six months since we played a live show, which is kind of strange. But um, now that was an incredible experience for me. It was somewhere my grandfather always aspired to get to, so I kind of did that for him.
1: Is it different than a regular, you know, uh, gig? I mean, at some point, your muscle memory takes over and maybe a show becomes a show, but but is there anything extra that kind of goes along when you're playing a room like that?
0: Well, it's a, it's a little more... And, you know, for me, I, I respect the legacy of that place. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little... I mean, rigid would probably be too uh, derogatory of a term, but for the sake of keeping it brief, I'll say it was a bit rigid as far as the rules and, and how you do things, you know, and they... They don't want you to step out on that stage until they're ready, and uh, you know I tried to, you know, really stick to the program, and I, and I did, and I think they appreciated that. But um, playing there, the amps are all a little quieter than I'm used to, and you know I just didn't want to go in and and I don't go in and make demands. That's just not what I do. So I just kind of stuck to the way that they do things because it's worked for quite some time. <laughs>
1: you know, <laughs> right. Well, you know, one of the things that has kind of slipped out here, of course, is so many artists have been part of, you know, pu- putting really interesting moments together uh, on the web, and you got to be a part of one of those as well with uh, with playing for change and, and getting to be a part of the wait. Now, I- again, I'm guessing you do this from your own your own pad, so, you know, it's a little less prestigious than the Grand Ole Opry, but, but that was a big crew that you played that with online.
0: It's really funny. Uh, my part that I recorded... I was actually in uh, Gold Coast, Australia. I was, uh, yeah, I was down there for Byron Bay Blues Fest, and um, they wanted to uh, do the playing for change, and they I, they just put where everybody was from, you know? <laughs> but it's really, every time I watch it, I'm like, I, I really hope nobody thinks Greenville <laughs> looks like that because it does not <laughs> at all. <laughs> you know, I, I, what,
1: there are, again, a lot of big names on there. I think. Was I right? Ringo's on there too, right? And I, I am leading a question here.
0: Yeah, Ring Ringo kicks it off. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's um, sort of. I I had wondered about because of your upbringing and everything, if if maybe there was a Beatles versus the band sort of spot in in, in your in your history.
0: <laughs> it was kind of a a Beatles, you know, and the band situation for me. I listened to uh, I'm Only Sleeping every morning uh, by the Beatles off Revolver. I listened to it every morning going to school. Because I was so dog tired. I just hate getting up early and uh, was kind of genetically preconditioned to be a night owl. My whole family is a you know, musical family and everybody worked late in the third shift. So, And that's what I did when I was in high school. So the Beatles were a big part and the band was a huge part. I listened to them on the way to school every day and,
1: and after. I love knowing that I'm not. I'm only sleeping. Being a teen theme uh, to some degree, it's not one you usually hear about. <laughs> yeah, a little, <laughs> a little bit. Oh, that's fun. Well, Marcus, uh, again, I really love what you're doing. Uh, you know, you, you never know what's going to happen with a new record, and especially when an artist starts talking about growth. You know, they always want the best, but you know, it's it's. This is one of those moments where you kind of nailed it. Every single thing that you're doing, I feel like, is the exact thing you should be doing. Uh, out there at least personally that's how it speaks to me so man congratulations again on el dorado it's a hell of a record
0: yeah well i sure appreciate you man it was great to talk with you today you too man take care and we'll see you around all right take all care all right bye
1: that was just a couple of years ago that i got to talk with marcus king about his record carolina confessions i thought i would include that interview here as well he had a lot to get off his chest around that time he was writing about suicide we talked about the importance of uh conversations about mental health and being inspired by the Black Crows. So enjoy part two, Kyle Meredith with
0: Marcus King. Hey, Kyle. How are you doing? It's Marcus.
1: I noticed that all three of your albums uh, had been released in October uh, as they came out. Is that a coincidence, or you just like to keep things spooky?
0: <laughs> well, uh, I guess spooky's always all right. But I don't know, man. I think that might be something from the label. I guess they like to get it out uh, towards the beginning of the last quarter. There must be some kind of strategy there.
1: There's so about three records now, and every single one of them with a with an October release. Like that's consistency right there. <laughs> yeah, man. Let's hit that title first: "Carolina Confessions." As 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 you've said in other interviews, you had a lot of things to get off of your chest. What's the what's the? It, it makes it a concept record, right?
0: Yeah, I guess it, it, in a lot of ways, yeah, it does. You know, it's a it's a breakup record, just just a different kind of breakup record. It's more of a Accepting responsibility for your own actions type of a thing. And it also speaks a little on uh, leaving home and, you know, finding yourself out there.
1: As you're focusing on your songwriting this time around, did did you feel like you needed a concept to keep your focus, to give you uh, a direction to go in, or is it just the way that the uh, the cards fell?
0: I was really happy that the concept kind of found me, and I was able to build around that. And I had been bringing in songs into the studio and the concept kind of found me that way because all the songs kind of tied into this grand scheme of Carolina Confessions and it, it gave me a, a better idea or a better way to, to paint the picture I was trying to.
1: I read that you wrote a lot of the, did you write a lot of the songs in France or was just some of the songwriting happened up there?
0: Yeah, a good a good few of the tunes. I wrote just kind of in hotel rooms and backstage areas while we were over there doing our tour. Uh, this this past March. I think it was. I
1: mean you hear a lot about um how sometimes uh location can can influence a song, but uh I I don't know. Do you do you have any of uh <laughs> of French or European sounds that you can hear creep into these songs at all?
0: <laughs> not not much. Not much. I I'll tell you what was really I think kinda unbeknownst to me, uh inspiring the way that I was approaching this music was give you an idea of what I, what I was doing, I was really kind of stressed out. So that really encouraged me to to write more because that's my main way to release tension on my on my heart and my soul and my spirit. So I was doing this tour and I was also learning a lot of Black Crowes music because I was getting ready to do this tour with Chris Robinson that we did. And that's what I think really uh, was really inspiring to me was learning all their music actually.
1: You can hear some, definitely hear some of that in there. I mean, and 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 I think that falls in line with you know southern music too, which has a long tradition. Although it's, you know, you could say that about any basic genre, but but something about southern music, it's a it's a really special, specific tradition that it becomes more about the story. I mean, the the, the guitar solos and the riffs are there, but it, but it has to be about the story as well, right?
0: Right. Yeah. I think I think that's uh, that's the truth, man. You got to have a story behind it.
1: And there are some stories on here, um, I'll bring up Goodbye Carolina, because I, I think that's one of the most heartbreaking ones we hear about, that that touches on suicide.
0: Yeah, it does. That's been something I've written about before. It's the first time I've ever spoken about it. I think it's uh, I think it's something that we need to uh, be aware that's, that's happening, and it doesn't it really have a face, you know? You never really see it coming. And we had a good friend of ours that's not with us anymore. And I wrote the song from his perspective. And he kind of, I feel more like he wrote it. He kind of came to me in a dream of some sort in one of my hotel rooms in France. And uh, that's how the song came to be. Beautiful, beautiful song. It really is. Well, thanks a lot, man.
1: Would you say that there are more goodbyes than hellos on this record?
0: That's tough to say, because I guess collectively the entire record is is meant to be a, a bit more uplifting, but I guess it's uh, kind of how you like to interpret it. I guess for me, you know, any, anything that I write, I like a hundred different people to listen and have a hundred different interpretations of what it could mean. Or, you know, just because I say exactly what the song's about, that's just what it was for me. Right. It, it should be something different for everybody
1: must say something about the mood I've been in lately then. <laughs> and we should also mention Dave Cobb, you know, we everybody's a fan of Dave Cobb these days. We we surely are. Did he add anything that you hadn't been able to do before?
0: Dave was uh, a really great asset on this record. He came in and he's very uh, calm and collected with the way that he works and he was very uh, very aware of the fact that we're a, we're a band, you know, and it's not just me and some session players so it was very collaborative in in the way of pushing everybody to really get the best parts that they could on the song that we were working on we would start every morning or afternoon because dave likes to do the brian wilson approach or the john prine however yeah. and start about 1 p.m 2 p.m so we would sit down on the couch and i would write or play a song and if he had any notes just on the basic structure of the tune. We would go over it there. And we would we would change around the verse or we'd say, no, this could be better for the chorus if we added this there. You know, make some really minor adjustments. And then right there, the, the horns would come up with their lines and everybody would kind of learn the song. Because the majority of the music, I, like I said, I wrote uh, by myself. So I hadn't presented it even to the band yet. So I, re- I really went in there cold with all these tunes. And he was a really big asset in letting us act as a band once we had all of our parts. He wouldn't really step in in the middle of us in our you know arbitration process that we usually have of anything that could be going on in the studio. He kind of let us figure things out, and then he would you know jump in. Yeah. It, was, it was a great environment.
1: And, I, and I'll bring up you know one of those songs I, I guess that maybe you didn't bring in at the beginning was, was how long because that ended up being a co-write with with Dan Auerbach as, as I read. H- how did that come about, and how was it writing in that style with him?
0: That was great, man. That was that was really a good couple of days. It was just a writing session that came about. Dan does a lot of writing in Nashville, and uh, he he contacted or he reached out to me and asked if I would want to come and. Uh, do some writing with them and I said we're with him and I said absolutely so I flew from Phoenix Arizona to Nashville and we did two days of writing and we were were writing with uh, Pat McLaughlin on this particular day and we had like four or five different ideas that we left the studio with and that one was the one that kept kind of ringing in my ear and I flew from Nashville to to Paris and we did that whole tour of Paris so I had all the other tunes I was working on, and I had that one still kind of ringing in my head. So we started playing it live and testing it out on that tour that we were doing. And we came back to the studio and we, we focused on all the songs that we wanted to get done. And uh, we noticed that we had a, a day in the studio that we didn't have really anything to work on. So at that point I kind of I kind of said, you know, I got this tune that me and Dan and, and uh, Mackie wrote. Let's, uh, let's give it a go. <laughs>
1: and there it is for everybody to hear now. Yep. Yeah. Dude, I really do love this record, uh, Carolina Confessions. You've done an outstanding job. And uh, I'll also mention at the end here that uh, we're excited to have you in town, too, because you're going to be bringing it all to the Mercury Ballroom, which is right next door to us uh, on December 4th. Uh, really looking forward to that, man. Yeah, me too, brother. We can't wait. Yeah. All right, Marcus. Thank you so much for, uh, for calling in today. Uh, we'll be seeing you soon.
0: Thanks a lot, man. We'll see you all in Louisville.
1: All right, take care. All right, you too. And my thanks to Marcus King. Again, the brand new record is called El Dorado. Thanks to you as well for checking out the episode before you get out of here. Uh, If you're a fan of what you heard, there's plenty more where that came from iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you like to get podcasts from. Just type in Kyle Meredith with. Hit subscribe. We'll bring you new interviews every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday so you can keep up with your favorite artists and discover some new ones. Know what's happening in the music world. After that, head to WFPK.org. Now, that's where I do a show Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern, an hour full of song premieres and music news, anniversary spins, and bonus interviews, wfpk.org. Consequence of Sound, they've got your music and film news. You can also find me on most of the social media spots at Kyle Meredith. I do hope you like and follow along in those places. And that does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time.
0: Hey, I'm Jen and I love horror movies. I'm Mikey. I'm Dead Inside and I also love horror movies. And we really like to torture our friend Todd because he hates horror movies. That I
1: do. And that's why they call me the horror virgin. <laughs> that's the only reason we call him that. I'm not, no other reasons at all. You're None. At at all. All. Whatever. So every,
0: <laughs> every week we take him through the encyclopedia of horror the good, the bad, the ridiculously Jack Frost.
1: <laughs> and then we make fun of it more or less,
0: or explain its deceptive feminism oh yeah exactly that's what i do that's my thing <laughs> and i'm the funny one <laughs> <laughs> our episodes drop on monday so check us out
1: when you visit arizona time is measured in moments not minutes like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate